Higgins, welcome back to On the Night I Go Back. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Hey, you know, anytime. Uh, I'm really glad to see you after taking a week off, which we haven't done. We are hardworking podcasters. No, first week off, I think, since we started. I don't know. Probably well, not, that, that might not be right, no. no but like, in, in a long time, um, yeah. that's definitely true. You know, we made a lot of mistakes early on where we banked like 10 episodes, and then we did the stupid thing where we released them all at once instead of just waiting and then we would have had so many weeks, so many banked episodes that we could have just taken some weeks off. But we released all of our episodes at once when we first started. So then we like had to make, we had to do weekly or we wouldn't have anything to release. Wait, what? No, we deliberately waited to, to do several episodes at once. That's how you're supposed to start a podcast. Yeah. Is it though? Do, is, there, is, that, is that in the manual? I don't know. It's what I read when I fucking Googled it. You should try it sometime. <laughs> oh, hey, man. Um, <laughs> how to set up a microphone so it's not blocking my face in the webcam. Does that, it's like you said, it's not about how I look. It's about how I sound. No, but it's, it's an unfair advantage for you to be able to see my very expressive body language and for me not to be able to reciprocate. Yeah, no, you look, oh, ooh, the side look at that angle. angle huh? Look at Whoa, that angle. Oh, that angle I really like. Thanks, man. As long as you don't look away from the mic. I can't help it. I'm going to yeah, do it. No, so okay, okay. Happen. This is really, you, do you guys hear what I have to deal with here? All it's, right. Hey, welcome to the On the Night I Go Back, a uh, podcast about TV and movies and uh, all the good stuff. All the good stuff. Yeah. You know? Thanks for getting us back on track, Higgins. I'm actually, you get a gold star this week because you have pulled your strings. Uh huh. And you found us a great guest that's going to join us later in the um, episode. In the hour. <laughs> later in the hour uh so don't go anywhere don't yeah, touch that don't. dial and if you just do if you just do what i do and listen to the first five minutes and then shut it off so you get credit for the listen don't do that don't do that listen no to, you yeah. miss all the good stuff keep listening folks keep listening that first five minutes we're just shaking the cobwebs off we're yeah making our way downtown out. yeah exactly you no know, walking fast <laughs> homebound fast yeah homebound yeah that's a, so that's such a great song oh it's a great song great song really good song she was married to Stephen Jenkins from Third Eye Blind, but you didn't wow. know that. Did I did not. I don't know, know if they're still married, but I know at one point they were. Wow. No, I didn't know that, but I'm really glad that I do now. I feel like I'm. I feel like I'm really feeling good about it. All so. right. You know, just leave me alone. So okay. So I haven't. Uh, I mean, I saw you last weekend, but we didn't record a podcast. So how mm-hmm. have you been? How have you been? You're slinging box. Sling, still slinging box. You're like uh, doing your thing. Yeah, I mean, everything's good. The furniture, oh, the, the uh, Wayfair Gate 2020, finally, uh, they finally delivered all the furniture. and uh, Which has that. a very different meaning right now, by the yeah, way. Yeah, you know what? I probably should have pre- prefaced that. <laughs> we definitely got furniture, not stowaway children or, or, or women. And you'd, the... you'd, you'd triple check to make sure it was actually furniture? Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> this, somebody, this, this is a little child in our backyard holding up our table. Um, <laughs> Jesus I know, sorry. It's good. Uh, no, yeah, it's fine. No, yeah, we got we got the uh, just the just the table. I mean, just the uh, furniture, and we finally set that up. So, so you got a complete patio set. So you didn't get extra. You didn't get less. You got exactly what you bargained so for. So they sent us two patio sets because that's how Wayfair rolls. Oh, so they did. So, so if so, you remember, if you listen to more than five minutes of the podcast, if you remember, we talked about it last time. Yeah. And so you we, said that I you got, were expecting to get double. We, yeah. I was. We ordered one thing. Mm-hmm. Emily won one thing 
they sent us one of the two boxes that it was that were supposed to come. Emily called and complained that the other box hadn't shown up yet. So not they're like, okay, we'll just send you out another another shipment, and if the other box comes between now and then, yeah, you get to keep it. So and that's what um, happened. The other box came, a, and you got a second only, one. Not only did that happen, but the other box showed up before all the. Uh, no, I'm sorry. The the other the other two boxes showed up before the second box, okay, the first okay, order showed yeah. up. So, uh, yeah, so we set, we ended up building both of them and now we have like a bigger section, like a bigger. So hold on. It's ridiculous that you called exactly what was, do you, you remember, oh, yeah. you remember calling this that, right? happened Wayfair every time we've ordered anything from Wayfair. We you got really two, called that. We got two beds from them when we ordered our bed frame from them. I think we got, I think we ordered some sort of furniture for Riley, like a, either a crib, maybe not the crib, but something for Riley. And we got two of those because one didn't show up. And then, and then I don't know if you remember in my basement, we have this chair that this weird ass white chair, just, <laughs> just oh, like the tall, like the kind it, of tall one. Yeah. It's like yeah. a weird, they sent us that. I hate that of, chair for one reason, for no reason. They just sent us that. Like, <laughs> Thanks for really, being a good customer. Yeah, they're just like really bad at what they do. And I, and I shouldn't bust balls. I mean, this is a pandemic and it's a lot of, moving parts and i understand that everyone's trying their hardest but no it's okay to hold for, a company like wayfair like for a, to, a company that literally does nothing but kidnap children and, talk about they're like the worst they, they have the worst press out of like any company there's a warehouse in massachusetts now i believe it, it's, it was going up in north andover i'm not yeah, sure but your house is like some sort of a weird dark spot on their map because they can't <laughs> seem to figure out how to get well, everything shit. comes from georgia and i'm like we live 20 minutes from a I could warehouse. Go pick just, it up or- <laughs> yeah just like i'll do it i'll do your job for you just get me the right thing so yeah. but no that's interesting all, it's, it's all set and uh it'll it's all set up for you guys when you come over next weekend um, excited about that Talk, i was talking to some people uh we got to get out some some deets time date we could do it so, right now so oh, we have date, but like time here, and, and here's sitch. my thing. Here's yeah. my thing. Mm-hmm. I am 100% down for this. Obviously I, I suggested it. I wanted you to back, happen. You're backing out. But I'm backing out. No, um, but Jeez. if the weather does turn, which it might, right now the weather's, it's like a 40% chance of rain. Um, if come Thursday or Friday, it's like, you know, 60 or 70% chance of rain. I think I might have to pull the trigger and back out just because, I don't know how I feel about having like having ten people outside spread out is one thing. Having ten people in my house, yeah, I then mean, it, if, then it kind of makes then then I get that nervous. makes sense. You're, I think, I think if it was a bigger space, then it would be better. But I think you're right. It would be difficult for everyone to be in the same room somewhere in one of in your house and still well, maintain distance. Yeah, There's I mean, I think, no it could be, I think it could be done. I just think it'll be it, it's it's a hassle that I don't really want to. No, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. But I, mean, I just feel it, bad because I know Jeremy and Allie are rent are renting an Airbnb or staying like I, I know people are have a lot of moving parts. So I don't. I would feel guilty canceling at last minute. So. I there's well, gotta be there's gotta be some sort of a contingency plan that we can think of. Yeah, let's, I'm sure there is. let's put a pin in this. Let's think yeah. about this. We'll talk about it tonight when we have mo- most of the participants. Oh yeah, spot. it's looking like so. a good, good, thick crew tonight. That's what that's what I always say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So okay, so that's cool. Um, so we're just doing like you know moving stuff and. Oh hey uh, yeah, how are you guys doing? We're doing good. Yeah. Uh, getting rid of all of our stuff. Jamie's selling a bunch of stuff on Facebook Marketplace. Actually, funny story. One lady got really fucking pissed <laughs> at Jamie over what something she sold her. So, uh, have you ever used Facebook Marketplace before? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I hate it's, all those people. Everyone. Yeah, that, no, everyone. The, the people are just, most of them, I mean, most of them are, are, are like, they seem like garbage, but um, cause they're all like, they're rude and they like yep. haggle over like a dollar. And it's just like, it seems I, I, I like, I do a lot of wheeling and dealing, you know, Craigslist, eBay, everywhere. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And, and, and the, the people that, that we found on Facebook marketplace have just been the lowest of the low, just not great. So anyways, case in point, we sold a couple plant stands that I bought at home Depot. Mm-hmm. And when I bought these plant stands, they were like 40 bucks a piece. Mm-hmm. So Jamie put in the listing, you know, each of these were purchased for 40 bucks a piece. Um, we're selling them for like 20, like yeah, half like, off. Yeah. 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 Effectively. And it, we ended up selling for, I think 30. Oh, wow. um, someone hit us up and they were like, they said, we'll give, I'll give you 30 for both. And we were like, yeah, that's fine. And then, so that was like last week, the lady texted Jamie last night and said, I just went to home Depot and I found similar plant stands for $10. You ripped me off. I want my money back. Oh shit. On a Facebook <laughs> marketplace transaction. Yeah. She was like fucking pissed. Jamie sent me the text. It was hilarious. And it's like, first of all, like I bought them for what I bought them for. We weren't lying. But second of all, it's like, it's the buyer's responsibility right. to research that shit. Like, are you kidding me? Like you misled me. In I'm the, not a, a corporation that says, Hey, bring me your best, find me a lower price someplace else and I'll match it. Like that's yeah. not my, that's no, not my, and I'm not like, this isn't a fucking full return policy guarantee yeah. price match bullshit. Like it's not best buy. Like, I, like she was like, just a, she's just like a fucking, she's like a Karen. She's like a, like a, nope, like yeah. a, it's exactly what that behavior is. So, and it was, it was just crazy. So Emily's got like, she's it got her fingers in all these, like certain, these different pies of Facebook sure. groups. Like getting most, free, getting yeah. free patio and it's sets like, and, and Emily's not like that. I don't think she is. I've never seen her act like this, but like everyone, I feel like she interacts with or she'll like show me messages between other people, like people complaining. And I'm like, these people, like it, it's, it's all the same type of person. It is. It really is. It's a stay at home white, fucking middle-aged woman who's got nothing better to do but to complain about fucking facebook marketplace it really seems like there's a type that does that yeah. does this kind of thing right and this is like so we're on there like trying to sell everything which makes mm-hmm. sense right we we i didn't we had never really used facebook marketplace before we got to this point where we wanted to get rid of everything um but she you know but but the, the people who are actually in there like looking for deals or whatever buying it's just like Oh man, I thought it was crazy. I was like, we were like blown away that this lady could take this so seriously. And she was like, she wanted, she wanted like the difference. She wanted to keep the plant stands, but she wanted her money back to make up for the difference of $10 a plant stand minus a couple bucks because she's buying online. That's literally like it's crazy behavior. That's buying a TV for 800 bucks and then going and get in like a month later, seeing the same TV on sale for 600 bucks and then begging, then demanding that saying it's the store's fault for not giving you back the $200. It's oh, like, totally. No. Yeah. It's, it's like, like if- sure. These, they probably were whatever she said, 10 bucks at the time, but they were also $40 when you bought them. So it's yeah, like, yeah. like things go, things drop and raise in price all the fucking time. I know. I know. It's so, it's so crazy. So she's like, she was like, you're a scam artist. And it's like, what do you think is happening to you right now? Lady? Like, right. Do you think that like, this this person is on Facebook Marketplace buying ten dollar plant stands and trying to trick people to into buying them for fifteen dollars on Facebook Marketplace yeah, and like, like doing it at it scale and right. you just got like really fucked over by the man and like <laughs> it's like you're such a fucking victim like come on Jesus Christ well, this, we sold we uh, had a Hot Wheels like one of those like sit down like things that Riley can sit mm-hmm. in and drive and the battery just shit the bed it was an old thing it was given to us by somebody. Um, 
so it was already old. We bought a new battery for it. I remember that thing. I yeah. keep my beer in that when we're playing cornhole yeah, in not, your driveway. Not anymore. Not uh, anymore. So and then the, the battery stopped working, and it it just we never were able to use it again. So we sold it on Facebook Marketplace with the with the thing. We said, hey, this is the battery doesn't work. Mm-hmm. But if anybody wants this to like, if anyone's a mechanic or like, a, or is good with like, uh, like, you know, wires and shit, they can think they can get it to, to work. We'll give it to you for 20 bucks. Right. And this is like a hundred dollars. Yeah. yeah. And you're very transparent. Yeah. Yep. A woman shows, she agrees to buy it, shows up and I'm helping her load it in the car in her, in her car. And she goes, Ooh, can I, can, can we do 10? Cause the batteries doesn't work. And I'm like, no, you said <laughs> I, in the ad, I said the battery doesn't work and you still bought it for 20. So no, no, we're not doing it. And she tried to haggle me down again. And finally I was like, no. And she's like, okay, fine. Okay. Here's the 20. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, what I don't understand. Like I like a good deal as much as the next guy, but, but I don't understand that mentality that like, it's like you, any, any amount of money that you saved off of what you were supposed to pay yeah. is like some sort of a fucking like win like like a desperately needed win in your life i just don't i don't get it like i'm a i'm a flawed fucked up person i look at that and i'm like jesus christ like how do you get like that right and you get like that because you're fucking online all day just getting doing this shit for a fucking living god is is does anyone have it harder than you and me no, I don't think anybody. I said that. I said that from the from the from from Jump Street that I have the hardest job on the planet. God damn you! Nobody, oh nobody God. appreciates us. So, anyways, you know? I I am actually worried that this lady, based on her erratic behavior, is going to come to the house and like try to no, like for what fifteen? What was what was the difference? Fifteen dollars, ten dollars? Fish. She wanted fifteen back. Yeah, fifteen bucks. I mean, was she like? Like, did you notice anything about her when you, when she picked it up? Was she... I, I don't remember. I don't remember which one it was. We've been doing like, you do it like curbside. So like, yeah, yeah, obviously, yeah, no, no contact. So obviously, yeah. Um, but, uh, it's just like. With Venmo or cash? Cash, everything cash. Yeah. Cash for sure. Okay. So, um, good chit chat. I'd sir. say, I'd say above average chit chat. Yeah. Good. Not great. But I mean, it's okay. But above average. Above average. If average is what we're shooting for, then yeah, I guess so. But yeah, average is what we're is what we're shooting for. Okay. Um. So okay, cool. So Higgins, hey, talk to me about the things that you have been watching. Ooh, good question. Thank um, you. It wasn't a. I was. A, it was a request. It wasn't a question. Oh, uh, good. Good request. Um. So I've been watching a specific genre of of TV, Ooh, and it has drama. <laughs> <laughs> Two, um, and this week and the last couple of weeks, they've had two very, uh, very uh, prominent shows in this genre come out and debut. Oh my God, and I'm on the edge of my seat. Are you ready? Yes. One's on Netflix, one is on HBO. Here we go. The Pope, they're Pope shows. Are you sitting down? He's <laughs> Pope shows. Yes. <laughs> Pope 2K20. Um, no, it's uh, True Crime. And... Ooh. A on on Netflix, Unsolved Mysteries came back with six new episodes, which yeah, I, I'm yep. sure you've heard. I watched that. And then on HBO, there's a ten ten part docu series called I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Ooh, which didn't is, watch that. Which is about the um, the East Area Rapist slash Golden State Killer slash mm. um, whatever else they call him. Um, Slim Tim. Slim Tim. Yeah. Um, so both I watched both. It, it it's two episodes in on the 10 part 
HBO series. And then I watched all six episodes of the unsolved mysteries um, show. And first of all, I was a huge unsolved mysteries guy when I was growing mm-hmm. up. It was, I mean, just, it was the original true crime show, you know, like the reason that true crime is as popular as it is today. I mean, unsolved mystery has a big, has a big part in that, in the mm-hmm. lore of that, of this genre. Um, Robert Stack, the old host, you know, he's iconic with his voice and the, the trench coat that he used to wear. And he's always walking around in graveyards and like dim lit areas and, and, and foggy cemeteries and shit like that. And, um, this new series l- loses all of that, loses all of its luster to me. Um, I don't know how you felt. You said you watched it. I did watch it, but I also didn't like, I'm familiar with like the vibe and the, like, if you see, if you know anything about these things, call blah, blah, blah. Right, right. And like the dude in the trench coat. Um, but I, I didn't know. I didn't like really watch it. Um, I know Jamie's huge into true crime. So I'm Jamie, sure she watched, Jamie was did she watch the other yes, one she too? Did. The... She's exactly like you. She loved the, okay. she loved the original. She said that she really missed like the narrator. That and, was, that was my big, it, it goes now the production quality. The music. I'll, say, I'll say the production quality, top notch. Great. It's not, yeah. it's not these, you know, shitty reenactments that they used to do, but with, they, they took away the whole narrator and the whole host thing where now each episode is just its own standalone episode where it still has the music, it still has the intro, but it, then it goes right into the to, into the show, and I feel like it just loses so much of its appeal. It's an way. interesting choice for the reboot, given that 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 like the narrator and the everything that's so ingrained Anonymous, into right. what the show was. Right? It's now, weird it's that cool. they didn't try to like they didn't try to like they could have found some like B plus A minus list celebrity right. to like be the narrator and give you that same vibe. So, uh, but they didn't. It's cool what they, they they do pay a nice homage to Robert Stack because in the in the opening they have his silhouette. It's him, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's kind of cool, like very Hitchcockian. Um, nice. Now, to their defense, in like two thousand and one or two thousand and two, after the original series had ended, they brought it back with a different host. I think Robert Stack had passed away at this point. They brought it back with Dennis Farina, who's an actor who's actually passed away since himself. You recognize him. He's, been, he's in a bunch of shit. You'll recognize it if you look up his, the, his name. But they brought him back, and they did the same thing. Like they, He was the host. They had the music. And it did not play well because I think it was everyone was so used to Robert Stack and like bringing in another host. It just didn't work. Right, yeah. Um, that, and the reboot only lasted like two years um, or maybe like two seasons. So I can see why they didn't want to go with that again because – you know it didn't work the first time they tried it so maybe just go and try it this way but it just it was just so every every episode of the of the of the show was just so generic it was every every episode felt like a netflix documentary that they've done millions of times Mm -hmm. you know there was Mm -hmm. no uniqueness to it um now conversely the documentary series on hbo i'll be gone in the dark oh wait a minute before we move on to that um, yes so we watched the unsolved mysteries as well okay uh, i thought they were all kind of like so so but there was one there was one the, of them the one episode the message the, the UFO. no that, that one was okay that one was oh, okay. okay um i know, the, the, I know which one you're gonna say yeah it's the, the one with the family the one with the french family oh not that one no that one was the, by far one, the best one no i think the one with down. the guy who um 
I forget his name now. Reyes, Reyes, I think. Right, Rivera, right. That Rivera, one was pretty he, good. That one was pretty falls good. Through, where he fought, he's found in that in that room. Did he fall through the roof? How did that right, happen? They talk about yeah, yeah, garage and everything. Yeah. No, I thought the I was like absolutely captivated by the one with the French family and the the, the perfect life and the dad. But you knew the dad did it though. That's the that's the thing. Is like. I guess that's what these these ones are lacking, like the actual mystery to it. Right, right, because right. every one of these episodes are easily explained. Like they, right. like, yes, and they're and they're based on real things. And at this point, true crime is so saturated that right. you've probably heard like the my favorite murder host talk about that shit. Like each of these stories, like right. like Jamie was like, oh, I saw this on I saw this one on my favorite murder, so mm-hmm. I know all about it. Right, like mm-hmm. so so at this point, it's like there's no surprise in it. It's, your, it's it, like you said, it's all in the style. It's all in the way the right. story is told. Right. Um, so, so yeah, of course it was, it was pretty obvious that he, they, I mean, they made it pretty obvious that he did it from the start, but oh, just, totally. the, just, just the way that they, I don't know, the way they told the story, I liked that it was all in French. It was all in uh, French, all subtitles. And, and that's something that, you know, it adds something, it added something to it. Plus like that family was just a gorgeous, like, yeah, exactly. And it's like, like, you typi- see a f- like prototypical, like French, like, perfect. I don't want to say perfect family, you know, they just yeah. looked like a perfect family. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and that was sad. The and they people the dogs really, too. Yeah. Is, the do- and the, the people close to them, like how like all those guys, people got interviewed and like, I, I liked, that was the episode that really stood out to me. The rest of it I thought was only okay. But like, but then it just, they, <laughs> they do themselves so much disservice by going into almost too much detail when he's like, yeah, we don't know. It's unsolved, but the dad did buy a gun two days before the killings. And he did and buy a silencer. We saw day. him yeah. on a video yeah. at the hotel like, oh, so. with his gun and he walked right. into the woods. It's uh. like, okay, so he did. It's like, it. all right. So yeah. I know for sure. <laughs> I guess in the, in the, in the original episode, in the original series, like there was so much more like supernatural mm. stories. Like there was, that's like, what I was hoping for. They had the UFO stuff, which is whatever. But like there was so many haunted house stories in the original. Mm. There was so many like unexplained phenomenon things in like the original. This was just straight up, you know, uns- these were just cold cases. The right. show just could have been called Cold Case, not yep. not unsolved unsolved mysteries. Yeah, no, uh, it's it was okay. So, anyways, uh, talk about the HBO show. So the other one, it's, the, the, this one's really, really, really well done. Speaking of my favorite murder, one of Karen Kilgariff, my favorite murder. She's interviewed in this documentary. Oh, interesting. They're all friends with Michelle McNamara, who was the author of the book "I'll Be Gone in the Dark." That w- was her her you know lifelong uh, journey to try to find who el- who this who this person was, the Golden State Killer. Um, so she's in the documentary, Michelle McNamara. Now, however, she died three or four years ago before they before. She releases this. Mm. Her book gets released post, hum, po, can you, you know how these po, uh, po, posthumously. posthumously. Yeah. So yeah. So she's writing this book for her almost her entire adult life, uh, tracking try to track down this guy. She dies in her sleep at a very young age. I think she was like forty three. Oh, is this the Pat woman Nowell's who was Pat Nowell's wife? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. right. Okay, okay, yeah. So yeah. she dies. The book gets released. It's it it's it's credited for helping solve the murder. Right. That's right. Solve the case. Because that's after so interesting. Released, they look into some of the things that she was writing about. They follow up some more leads that she had in the book. And then sure enough, by the end of the year, after the book gets released, they finally catch this guy after 40 years. Um, so the documentary is it's, it was all like home footage following her around before she passed away um, talking about this case. And they, they mix in like, you know, they, they have survivor stories from all the, the people who, who encountered him and all this. Because he raped, this dude raped over um, 50 women. 
Jesus. killed killed 13 people and no one knew anything about him mm-hmm. like i'll be gone in the dark with stuff he used to, he said that to one of his victims he's like um he's i don't know i forget what the what the thing is but he's like you can try to you can try to catch me but i'll be gone in the dark wow and that's uh where this whole thing came from and it's just so well done and hbo really has their finger on the pulse when it comes to this kind of shit way more way better than netflix when it comes mm-hmm. to like docu-series um so these two the same genre two different shows it just shows how one can be done really really well and one can kind of just be done so so uh but again unsolved mysteries was super popular on netflix this week i think it was the number one show on netflix for the week um but i highly recommend the if you have hbo max or hbo go whatever um watch the first two episodes of i'll be i'll be gone in the dark it's uh, really really good and um if you really want to watch the unsolved mysteries one go watch that too but all right that's what i've been watching directly from the horse's mouth you heard it here first thank you sir what have you been watching ben oh man i have watched a lot in the two weeks that we have uh been apart um i have finished or watched a bunch of tv shows let me just quickly read them off to you and you will play a little game you tell me which one you want to hear about okay okay so since we last talked, I finished Hannibal. I watched the first two episodes of Yellowstone. Yep, yep, ding, 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 ding. Well, hold on, keep going. I um, finished the third season of British Bake Off, which is still excellent. <laughs> watched the third season of Dark, which is also excellent, but not for the faint of heart. Uh, that's a show where, like, if you're not paying attention, it's, you're just not going to get anything, anything out of it. Um, I watched the third season of, F- or what, fourth season of Ephesus Family? Whatever the new one is. Uh, fourth season fourth season which we briefly talked about in text um and then i watched that first season of unsolved mysteries well we just talked about unsolved mysteries yep so leave that out if you can somehow fit yellowstone and uh, for, for, for family into this real quick do that and if not let's just talk about yellowstone okay i am not going to talk about yellowstone i was okay. including it for Jesus posterity's Christ. sake but i've only watched two episodes of yellowstone i have a strict three episode rule before I make oh. any sort of an opinion. So I'm not ready to prematurely come to you. Is it and... swaying one way or the other yet? Oh, or it's, no? it's good. It's definitely good. Okay. Okay. Um, but I want to, I want to, um, I want to, uh, I want to save that. Um, and yeah, let's say, let's say that. So let's talk about F is for family. At some point I am going to talk about Hannibal because it's really interesting, but let's talk about F is for family. So you watch that. Um, and then I watch that this week. It's, it's a good show in general, but as I said when I texted you, it's a little too bleak for me. It's just <laughs> such a bleak depiction of ha- having a family, like being in a family, be- living in a neighborhood, having a job. Like, it's just, it just, everyone in the show gets dumped on so much all the time, relentlessly, with not enough to, not enough to... It, there Not needs to be qualities. a balance. Yeah, yeah, there needs to be a balance. There needs to be a little something. It's like when you when you cook with sugar, you might want to put a little something savory in there to balance it out, right? You you or vice versa. Like you need a little bit of the, of both. Even if something is overwhelmingly sweet, you still want to put a pinch of salt in there, right? And and that's what. Did you really what, just want to talk about British Bake Off? Because I hate these. I food just I finished okay. the British the third season of British Bake Off. It is fucking delightful. That show is incredible. But no. I will not talk to you about British Bake Off. We already did a whole episode on that. Um, it's just too much. It's, it's, it's just too much 
too much negative shit. So and you so, didn't like it at all? Like you didn't? No, no, no. I definitely, it had its, it had, like I'd say each episode definitely had a few laugh out loud moments. I yeah. mean, Bill Burr is too funny. Um, and the characters are too ridiculous to not get like enjoyment out of it, but mm-hmm. it bummed me out. And that's not what I'm, the, the last three seasons, <laughs> the first three seasons had the balance. So let me, let me be so, clear. I love the show. Season up season one was really 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 good i think that yeah. every season since there's been a, a decline uh, yeah and i, I season agree with one that is really good but i do think i really enjoy the first three seasons and the fourth season like i'm like i did enjoy it but definitely not like i felt bad about it like it made me feel bad and that's not what i'm yeah. that's not what i'm looking for even in a show that like you know there's like i said it's a balance right and and it was well, a little too much for me it's so fucking bleak like such a bleak i can say this kids. i can say this it's it's having kids isn't like that okay um now, having, do you know of having three kids? I was gonna say having four <laughs> and a, kids and a baby on a, the way. Having four kids on a on a one salary in the in 70s, the seventies probably not. Good. Maybe might have been like that, but yeah. don't let this <laughs> sway uh, sway you from wanting to become a parent because like this, like this again, like I was saying to you, it's all hyperbolized. It's all like it, everything is for show. Like most, like everything on TV is. It's what all, kind you know, of a brittle man would I be if I let a Netflix animated show influence whether or not I was going to have? Kids? So the way you're sounding it makes it sound like you're you're swaying that way. That you just like you know what I was going to have kids until I. Well, saw I'm not going to say that it's it's making me more excited about the about potentially having kids, right? But right. it's, it's definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to be like. No. I'm not going to be like. Oh, Bill Burr, wait a minute, hold on, you're right. He, he might have been on, keep in, keep in mind, Bill Burr didn't have kids while he was doing the show. His daughter's Riley's age. His only daughter's Riley's oh, wow, age. Really? So yeah, he had, he had kids super late in life. Um, so it's not like he knows from experience, you know? Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. like... Um, but, I mean, the show still is is very funny, great great writing, great comedic mm-hmm, timing, mm-hmm. incredible cast. I mean, Bill Burr, Laura I think the, like, the dynamic between Justin Long and Bill Burr, that father-son thing is phenomenal. So phenomenal. There was one episode in the season where he, where him and him and um, Kevin were arguing and <laughs> he said something about being purple or like, <laughs> I forget, I forget now what it was. And, Ke- and Justin Long's character snapped back with something so funny. And I literally, <laughs> I literally did a spit take. Like I was <laughs> something and i almost choked because it was so funny justin long is is incredible um i think he's i think he's so good i would watch him in anything except i will not watch tusk again don't ever watch me to ask tusk again you don't remember tusk that kevin smith movie about the dude who gets kidnapped by like a crazy zoologist and gets physically turned into a walrus like he no what you've never heard of this movie no it was like a weird like post jersey girl pre like Jane Silent Bob revival Kevin Smith movie what was that starring one? You Red Justin State? Long. Well you did Red State. Oh, too. Red State was actually really good. It was around yeah. the same Red State was awesome. No, this is this is called Tusk. Um and Justin Long gets like kidnapped and like physically turned into a walrus by like this crazy mad scientist who like <laughs> who like does all this surgery on him. It's like a it's like kind of a it's like a a, a gore horror porn type of Ooh, type like of a thing. human centipede type of thing. Yes, yes, exactly like a human centipede type of thing. It's like it's like um it's it's a it makes you physically feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um I can't believe you haven't seen that movie, dude. You have to check out that movie. It's you fucking just told me not to. <laughs> I didn't tell you not to. I said I'm never gonna watch it again. Yeah. But like you know you okay. call yourself a movie fan you've never seen Tusk come on. <laughs> oh man, rookie um no so, yeah i never saw tusk but um yeah justin so anyways, long's great 
Yeah, Justin Long's great. He um, stars in one of in one of my favorite underrated comedies of the last twenty years, and that's Accepted. I was just thinking about Accepted. That movie was surprisingly dope. good. And by really the way, funny. top five comedy lines of all time. Ask me about my wiener. Ask me about my wiener. Ask me about <laughs> my wiener. <laughs> a pre-Oscar nominated Jonah Hill. You know. Yes. Yes. It, yeah, like, I mean, look at the look at the cast. Jonah Hill, Blake Lively. Yeah. Um, other Justin people. Long. <laughs> others. Others. Etc. 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 The whole cast. It's, it's yeah. just so good. Um, yeah, that movie was good too. So, anyways, we'll we'll save our Justin Long for our Justin Long week. Um, <laughs> our Justin Long weekend. <laughs> Justin Long weekend. <laughs> That would be a really uh, good episode. Straight, three straight days of podcasting about Justin Long. Oh my God. For charity. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cool. So, um, so you enjoyed, you enjoyed, or you didn't enjoy. I didn't enjoy it, but I, but I, I didn't like it, but I liked it. Okay. Well, you'll, and I can't you'll be, be any clearer than that. You'll be fine when you have kids. It's not like that. I think you'll be a great parent one day when you do have kids, but I can also see you, being not like not like not 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 being a bad parent but i can see you not enjoying a lot of the things about parenting yeah but a lot of the things about parenting aren't enjoyable eh, yes and no well no, yes no. yes and no i mean so if you like, look at things in a bubble like th- some yeah. of the things you need to do as a parent in a bubble right so 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 the context of having a kid who you love and who is like your you know your product or whatever mm-hmm. like a product of you and seeing them grow up and having a relationship like it's all it all makes it worth it right but if you look right. at things in a bubble you know not and then if you're someone like um uh frank um Mur- frank murphy, murphy. Yeah. yeah if you're someone like frank murphy <laughs> then it does all suck because he gets right. no and he seems to he seems to get no enjoyment out of being a, a parent but crazy if anything from that show is portrays is like he also is his own worst enemy so oh, totally yeah, yeah he's yeah. not like his family makes him this way he's just he's just kind of like a hapless dude you know well he you know he's kind of a piece of shit i mean as as uh this season showed his dad is a piece of shit and yeah all, you know it rolls downhill and, and right i mean that is a very um like i can definitely it's a classic kind of like story right, and right. it's definitely very very relatable um you know because every you know every person has a father so you can that's true it's true that is that is factually correct you're not going to get a lot of factually correct statements no, on this podcast. Not, but that no. one was. They're few and far between. They are. Um, so, okay. All right. Um, good, good chat. So we are extremely excited, Higgins. As I said, you get a gold star today because you found us a great guest. And I'm thrilled um, to welcome this guy here. I'm going to let you go ahead and introduce and drive this, Higgins, since it's your uh, connection. Why don't you, well, uh, I wouldn't, I, I can't take all the credit. I got to <laughs> shout out our number one fan, uh, Keith. Is he the guy who, is he Keith, the guy who left the, uh, the review on? Yes. Yes. The only, Keith. Yeah. I mean, how many, Keith, how many Keiths can we possibly know? So here's, yeah, this is, it's just Keith. Um, Keith came up to me last week or two weeks ago and said, Hey, I don't know if you know this, but I have a cousin who is in show business. And I said, wow, what kind of stuff does he do? He's like, well, he was on Yellowstone. And I was like, oh, is he, that's incredible. It's my favorite show. Um, and he's like, yeah, he does the lighting and all that kind of stuff. So, oh, so he's not really on Yellowstone. Keith made, Keith made it seem like he was on Yellowstone. But it's Wait, okay. this is how this conversation happened? It's okay if he wanted to. If he wanted to, he built you up a little bit before. He, uh, he, he broke the news to me. It's fine. Uh, but no, so we have um, Garrett Williams. Gary Williams, welcome. Thank you welcome for coming to the on the podcast. Yeah, um, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Now, Garrett, you are a you do lighting, 
Is that I do lighting? Yeah, lighting the, for mm-hmm. for uh, for TV shows and movies, and commercials uh, and, and commercials and everything. Wow, know, whatever. So, oh, interesting, interesting yeah, commercials too. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Yeah, I have That's, a lot of commercial. Oh, yeah. Now I have a lot of commercial questions too. So uh, first and foremost, uh, let's just get this. Let's just get. I want to get this out of the way. It's the elephant in the room. I just want to get it out of the way. How much do you make before taxes? <laughs> Do you want to talk about it? <laughs> so, there is a there, there's an elephant you. in the room. Uh, can you explain to me why the show is called Yellowstone? Uh, yeah, it's right next to Yosemite National Park. I don't know why they would call it Yellowstone. <laughs> well, just no, to, just to be fair, it does cost a lot of money to live in Los Angeles. So yeah, so I I, I you imagine, make a lot of money, right? Uh, but it's a lot of it's people all relative. Like, it's relative. It, uh, people refer to it as golden handcuffs. Because in order to make the real money in Hollywood, you have to work 14 hour days, five days a week. So do you work, so, so do you work like really long days like that? Uh, it depends on the situation. Um, it depends on the time of year, for mm-hmm. instance, uh, mm-hmm. or, you know, if you get, if you get involved in a movie or a TV show, um, then you're probably working five days a week in excess of, uh, 12 hours, probably closer to 12 to 14, depending on wow. if you count the commute and everything. Yeah. And, and, so yeah, and that's, most that's of, pretty common to do that. And most of what you do is in LA. Uh, yes. Yeah. I've okay. traveled out for a few shows. I mean, Yellowstone, we traveled to, we went to park city, Utah for six months to do oh, that show. Awesome. And that, that took us to Montana and a few other places. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I've, I've traveled a few other times for work, but mostly I've stayed here. Cool. Can, can you tell us a little bit about like, like what you're actually doing when you're, you know, when you're on set and, 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 and that kind of thing. Typically, it looked like based on your IMDb that you do a bunch of different things, a bunch of different stuff. Yeah. But like, typically what's your, like, kind of, you know, your, your, your expertise, so to speak. Uh, so I work as a, um, lighting technician. Okay. Um, the way that, uh, the set hierarchy works is that you have like, you know, if you're on set, you have a director and you have a cinematographer or director of photography the director manages the actors and in a more general way is responsible for the way the story is told. Okay. So if you, either if it's a, a, you know, movie or a TV show or commercial, whatever, there's a script and it's the director's job to interpret the script in the way that they see it and the way that they want to tell the story. So they work with a cinematographer or a mm-hmm. director of photography. Uh, cinematographer is more of like a term of art that used to mean something more serious and it used to mean <laughs> that they shoot like movies on film exclusively and now it's just sort of sort of become this thing where like anybody can call themselves a cinematographer but whether or not they actually are one is you know is it just kind of like stuff. you're responsible for like kind of the, the look and feel yeah i mean they're man they manage the uh picture on the screen that's the okay. best way to put it okay so the director will say uh you know control the way that the actors act the scene and where the actors stand in the room uh, but the way that it's shot is up to the cinematographer. So they'll go, you know, the director will say like, this is a moody day outside. It's cloudy, whatever. We want to put them in this space and I want the camera f- to be from this direction. So then it's the uh, cinematographer's job to sort of like pitch, you know, different camera angles or like help the director find exactly where the camera goes. And then, um, you know, from there, they're in charge of lighting, cutting and shaping light and using the camera and camera movement to help the director uh, convey the story that they want to tell. How, how much of that is like a collaboration between between the two of them? Like, how, like is it is it a is it like a like a partnership? Does the director really drive that? And I know it probably varies depending on who you're working with. But like, what is what is the typical what's the vibe of that of that kind of like partnership? Uh, it varies greatly. Yeah, okay. um, it really really does depend on what you're doing. Um, and you know, it, for instance, I've worked on TV shows that have 
several directors, like a director for each episode. And the right. cinematographer will stay as the cinematographer. All oh, all interesting. Okay, so for instance, like they'll say like, oh, I want to have this like wide shot of a house. This is what I was thinking. Then the DP will be like, well, to fit thematically with the way that we typically do something like this, this is the way that you want to approach it. Um, and then, you know, the opposite side of that is that you can get really like auteur directors that are like, this is exactly what I want. I'm going to tell you exactly where to put the camera. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you about what lights to use, et cetera, et cetera. And they'll be really heavy handed. But generally, like it, it is at least on some level a collaboration. And going into a job, you usually hire people that are on your same page. Like that's the idea. I mean, and of course there, are, there's like a that's a whole different conversation about whether or not directors get to hire their own. Yeah. Team. So how does how does that work? Do you, like how do you get hired? Do you get hired by the studio, or do you get hired by the, the director? Uh, it depends. I mean, I've I've been hired by producers before. Okay. Um, I a lot of times I'll hear from the. Uh, the production on behalf of a cinematographer mm-hmm. like if the dp says like oh this is a list of gaffers i like to work with um and i'm on the list they'll just call me up and ask for my availability and like do i want to you know interview for the job or whatever okay um so a lot of times i'm hired by either dps or producers um and then sometimes it'll be like it'll be a situation where there's like a key grip who's like hey the gaffer on this show is about to get fired do you want to come in and <laughs> try to do this job like that so things like that happen occasionally too but Okay, so uh, that's be, is that like a is that like a common thing? Is there a lot of turnover within like a season or or a specific movie? In, in not the, usually. It's yeah. mostly because it's more cost effective to keep the people that you have, and right, right, you right. know, just to keep the train moving. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, minute to minute and hour to hour, you're like losing money if you're not working. Yeah. Uh, on a TV show or a movie. Yeah. So what my job is basically is to help the so then the DP like for that conversation we we're talking about. It's a moody house, whatever. The DP will say, okay, this is how I want to shoot it. This is what I want my camera settings to be to convey this mood. This is where I want the light to come from. My job is to interpret that in terms of what technology we should use, what style of lighting, um, and then execute that vision as a technician. No shit. So as a gaffer, it's sort of your job to know what all the tools are and know how to execute it in in terms of uh, controlling, not controlling, but like, managing your crew of Mm -hmm. you know it could be two people or it could be 15 people to make it happen in a way that everybody wants it to so it's like a long i've heard this this goes really more for directing than other jobs but i've heard the job of directing is just a long series of yes or no questions (laughs) in that process if you have a very strong vision it comes through and if your vision is not as strong or if you're willing to make too many sacrifices that's when directing doesn't work so you can just huh. sort of say that as like the director is really only there to answer yes, a series of yes or no questions that lead you like, you know, by default into a good thing or a not so good thing. Interesting. So, so you're, you know, with that in mind and how you described your kind of day to day, like your job is, is a little, it's, a, it's kind of a mix of an art and a science, right? There's a science to, there's like an art to like interpreting what you're being told and there's a science to, um, being able to translate that into actually the technology that needs to achieve that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, on the one, I mean, I have the advantage of being uh, educated uh, by a really good undergrad program. I went to film school and stuff. So I'm able to talk to cinematographers about like the art of it. Like, Oh, you want to kind of do like a Kurosawa kind of thing here? You know, I could really like, like, yeah, like a vernacular. Yeah. yeah. Where did you go to film school? I went to Emerson in Boston. Oh, nice. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So are you a local guy or did I am from Beverly? 
Beverly Mass. Look at that. One nine one five. All right. Oh, <laughs> look at you. You know, you know a lot. <laughs> dude. I know all the zip codes. Man. Come on, hit uh, the one. Actually, so so while we're while we're talking about that, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into this field? Uh, yeah, sure. I um I went to Beverly High. Go Panthers. Go Panthers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're uh, the Panthers. <laughs> right. Uh, and then I was working, I actually worked a little bit in public access television in Beverly. Okay. And um, one of my mentor that worked there, this guy, Don Berman, who's not with us anymore, was uh, was an Emerson professor in like the 60s or like 70s or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he kept pushing me and being like, because I, I went to Keene State College in New Hampshire for a little while and just yeah. didn't. I don't know that I got much out of it. I did have a lot of fun. Don't get me yeah. But, uh, <laughs> it just wasn't really what I was looking for, for, for uh, college. So he kept pushing me to apply at Emerson. And when I did and I got in and stuff, I just found that uh, it was like a really good mix of people that were, that it, everybody was hungry, mm-hmm. you know, and just like everybody you'd spent most of, I spent most of my time working on other people's projects and doing my own outside of school. And oh, the wow. staff there, at least at the time, was really open to that. And they were like, you know, if you have to write a paper for this film class, but you're like, oh, I just got my 16 millimeter film back. I just found out that I like flashed the roll and I have to reshoot it. Can I have an extension? All the teachers are like, yeah, that's, you know, that's what you're here for. Hmm, you know? right. So they're really good at helping uh, push people in that direction. And then from there, I moved out uh, in September 2010. I came out to, came out to Hollywood started working i had a lot of connections because emerson pushes a lot of people towards yeah i think that's a that's, a that's a pretty well-known film school right like they they have yeah. you know it's yeah. great a lot emerson, of uh a lot of emerson guys. kids like all over los angeles like yeah. every, every, pretty much every job i've done i would say or so, mostly every job what I've was done. your what was your like major was your major like or, or uh, your, was it lighting or or what was it uh i have a bachelor of arts in film production with okay. a focus on cinematography awesome okay so when i first came out i was like i'm gonna be you know, when I'm, I'm going to be 35 and I'm going to get into the ASC. <laughs> and I, I still laugh when I think about that. Cause I had no idea what that meant. Right. right. Like in a practical well, sense. It's good to have a goal, right? It's good to be, it's good yeah. to have goals. Yeah. Sure. And I, I was really driven and, and I, I was a DP for a little while. I did that for a while and then realized that um, I just really liked lighting. I mean, I, I lit a lot of stuff in, in classes, but I figured like I, what I figured out was that if you can get really good at lighting, you can work on whatever you want. Right. You know, so you still have aspirations I, to be a cinematographer or a director or anything like that? Uh, not really. I, I like lighting. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, plus, I'm in, I mean, I mean I've, I've been doing it 10 years and I, I'm in the union and stuff. It's, uh, oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. That's yeah. so cool. How, how did you um, get into the, how did you, how did you like get your public access experience? So like, who, who, what was that original like kind of spark or, or, or thing that made you want to like do that? Uh, some friends of mine that were upperclassmen at the high school um, had made a comedy TV show that was kind of like it was like a sketch show. Oh, you guys know Seinfeld? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Jerry. Yeah, my friend Jerry. Uh, <laughs> no, my friends had made this like really low budget sketch show, and they were building a new studio for the public access station. Okay. And so they were looking for volunteers. So I went in and was like, Hey, I know these upperclassmen guys that made a TV show when your studio was in the other place. I want to be in here. I want to shoot on film and I want to make comedy. Huh. All right, you got a lot to learn. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, this is an Arby's. Um, yeah. You have no idea what you're talking about. I didn't have any idea what I was talking about, but um, I was a really quick study when it came to things like, uh, like nonlinear editing systems. So 
they were like, hey, we want to start editing on computers instead of like, you know, tape to tape editing. And I was like, with the knobs. I'm, I'm a millennial. I can figure it out. And yeah. right. So from iMovie or like Final Cut, whatever version that was back then, um, I just started like training people that lived in the city because that's the job of a public access station. Actually, it's worth saying how important public access television is because uh, one of the reasons why we get um, telecommunications companies coming in and saying like, okay, we have like Comcast has the monopoly over this area. They're only allowed to do that because they agree to provide money and channel space for the community. So a lot huh. of people like will look at a community station and be like, oh yeah, I'm watching this dude review like the quality of the peppers in his garden. Like, I don't care about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That sounds yeah, but like in a, in a local government sense, it's really, really important to have that because this is like part of the trade-off. We're like, your Comcast rates keep going up and you're angry because you don't have any competition. Part of the reason they're allowed to do that and they're allowed to operate is because they agree to give us this stuff. Yeah. So in any community that you live in, you can go into the public access station and, and make your own show. You don't need any equipment. Uh, you might need some training, but they'll like help you do it and you can That's do awesome. whatever you want and put it on television. That's really interesting. Do you, uh, do you find a lot of people who are like kind of in your space now um, did a lot of them get their start in public access? Uh, I don't know. I mean, there's a, there's kind of a weird mix in Hollywood of, cause for a hundred years, this, this was just a trade for everybody, but directors and actors, you know, mm -hmm. it's not something that you would like go to a school for, you know, it's kind of like my, my dad and his dad were, you know, plumbers or whatever, or electricians. I'm going to like learn the trade. You know, and there, people saw and made some of the most, you know, amazing films in the world for a hundred years, but it wasn't necessarily because they were thinking about it and the terms that we think about it as right. people that watch those movies. Right. So right now, and I mean, maybe starting, I, I started here 10 years ago, but even before that, when film school started to become a thing, all the people that had been here making movies saw people coming out from like NYU or Emerson or whatever. And like, they all look really clean and well-dressed and everything. And they're 20 something years old. And they're like, I am a cinematographer. <laughs> Dude, no, you're not. It's like, I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And even to be a gaffer, it used to be a different thing. I, I called myself a gaffer because I was working on such low budget stuff that I could just call myself that and do it. And right. that's how I made a career out of it. But to be a gaffer in the old system, you'd need to have 10 years as an electric rigger, which is just somebody laying, literally laying out cable from a generator to the set. And like now there's like that. There's like a different way to, to do that in a, in the form of yeah. a formal education. There's a democratization of the way that they staff movies, for better and for worse, um, because there are definitely people that do jobs they are not ready for, but they mm -hmm. talk a big game and they look like they can do the job. But then in, in turn, there are also people that you know. There was, I think, more nepotism in the business before, mm -hmm. and now I'm it's sort of like that actually. Yeah, there's still, I mean, there's, you know, it is what it is. It's like a, it's like a union job, like anything else. You might right, as well yeah. be a steel worker. Right. Like if you talk to the people, like the, when you imagine like a 200 person crew making a Transformers movie, a small percentage of those people went to film school. You know, right. it's, yeah. it's just, it's just a job that their family has done or that has been in Los Angeles for so long and that they either went to college or they just didn't and they just started working. Mm -hmm. And the, the weird thing about it, and I don't like to tell my parents about this because they helped me pay for school, but nobody, <laughs> nobody ever asked if I went to college. Sure, sure. I mean, you know? in that sense, it's just like, 
I mean, a lot of what you're describing is is just like any other Every, job. Yeah, it's just professional. Yeah, it's the professional yeah, workplace. yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah, show yeah. up on time and look like you know what you're doing. Right, exactly. That'll get you far. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's really interesting. Were you always interested in like, was it just movies that you were interested in? Were did you have like any artistic uh, aspirations before this? Like, did, were you into photography or anything like that? Or was yeah, it I mean, just I've, this? I've shot stills. I've shot stills for fun, and I I shot weddings a little bit when I first came out here, just because I needed money. money. And just yeah. Thought that it would. So you can make to... from someone who's who's hired a photographer for a wedding. You can make a lot of money doing that. So. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I worked for <laughs> so. Uh, there was a need. I, I worked for a stills photographer that had a need for video. And he's like, I really want to be able to provide video in addition to stills. Mm-hmm. And looking at it now, I just didn't, my heart wasn't in it. Like I didn't yeah. want to do it, you know? So I, I did kind of the bare minimum and, and it looked good, but it also was like good from like a film school student's perspective. It was like interesting visually, but people really want you to be like up there at the right. altar, like right, right, right. the person getting married. And that's just like, you know, stylistically that wasn't going to be my thing right because i don't want to like be there i don't want to be in the middle of the ceremony so i did a handful of um things like that and uh but yeah mostly i was like from an early age in high school i figured out that instead of writing papers i could make (laughs) videos make videos yeah and like a lot of times i like surprised the teacher that they were so good and i was like great if i don't like have to write papers and i can do this instead this is what i want to do right and then you know, I got good enough at it when I was in public access that I was like, okay, I can go to film school. And then they let me into film school. And then from there, it was just kind of like about that being the thing. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you found the experience, you found the right person, like a little bit of a mentor who, who kind of helped you see the path and um, you just, you just kind of followed it and, and, and did your own thing and it worked out. I mean, for, for, yeah. for, for every one of you, how many, people do you think it, it, it didn't work out like this for? Oof, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it, a lot of it, um, and this, this might sound like a little bit of a bummer, but it's not, I promise. A lot of it <laughs> is adjusting your expectations and your goals. Okay. Which is something I definitely did. Um, my, I kind of, I didn't give up on being a DP, but I just stopped making that my goal. Yeah. Now. Yeah. And I still, I still probably could, like, I, I know a lot of people that have started in the union that I'm in and then mm-hmm. they just start shooting non-union stuff because they know it. I mean, after doing it for 10 years, you know enough about what a good DP does and what they look like and right, you know, right. how they act that you could probably make a career out of it, but it just didn't, it just wasn't my thing. So my ability to like adapt, um, and my, you know, I, I worked hard. I worked for free for a long time and then I'm sure, the ability yeah. to like, like, be, like any other trade. Yeah. You work as an apprentice, right? Probably. Something yeah. Like that. Yeah. I mean, I, w- I wish I could have worked as an apprentice. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. Like you can, you can, I guess what I learned about is that you can go to a studio and like literally like knock on the door and just be like, Hey, I really want to learn lighting. And if it's the right time of day and the right guy is at the lamp dock, they'll like let you sweep the floors or whatever. And that's how it used to start. Like you'd have 18 year old kids coming in and sweeping the floors. And then like after a while, after sweeping the floor for a while, they kind of like make the next jump and make the next jump. See, and that, like something about that years is later. They're a director. See, something about that is so like, it's such a romantic thing. Like it's like to think yeah. of like, Oh, I, all I did was go in one day and decide to knock on the door. And now 50 years later, here I am, you know, 
directing ET or something like yeah. that. You know, you're the top of your game. That's it's set this. I feel like was this, that the, did you just tell the Steven Spielberg I story? Steve, yeah, I, I, I shortened it down for podcast for the yeah, podcast. That's a, but yeah, that's a bridge, the, heavily yeah, abridged, yeah, heavily abridged. Um, but yeah, I feel like that's just so not the way things are anymore. I mean, the, yeah, he actually didn't. He didn't finish finish film school. He went to like UC Long Beach or like some school like that. I just read about this recently, but he didn't finish his degree and then years later submitted Schindler's List as his final project. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, okay. You can, you yeah. can have a film the degree ultimate fuck you. Long Beach State. Imagine, be, imagine being the person that has to like grade that. Be like, actually. Just like, well, it was yeah. a little bit of a bummer. I'm going to give you a B plus. <laughs> yeah, they, they have to go to the dean and be like, I know it's our practice to give criticism. Uh, I'm not qualified uh, to give criticism. <laughs> I am, yeah. That's, that's, that's so funny. So, um, okay, cool. So, you have worked on a lot of kind of mainstream stuff. So I, I've definitely seen, you know, when I was looking at your IMDb, you're working yeah. on Yellowstone uh, currently? No, I did the first season. Okay. okay. Uh, they're now in season three, three or four. Three. Yeah, got greenlit for season, season four too. It's my well, favorite. It's, it's one of my yeah, favorites. It's a well, wildly were, popular show. Yeah. Yeah. They were always greenlit. Well, Things can change, but I know oh, hey, from the well, beginning they were looking at between four and seven seasons or so. I think they had seven seasons. Jeez. They had Costner for four initially, but when they were first talking about it, they were like, "Yeah, we got." I mean, they've got Costner for four seasons. They bought that house in Montana for five years or six years or something. Oh, wow. and they rented okay. it. They basically make the studio makes a deal with the person that owns the property, and they're like, "So, so that's an actual house. That's someone's years. actual house. That's not just yep. that wasn't that wasn't a set. That wow. Yeah, yeah." Okay. Um, but also what's interesting about that though, is that um, they had like had Cosner under contract for like four seasons or something, but then they, in the first episode, they give him cancer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, there's always an out. <laughs> Smart. Um, so <laughs> yeah. I guess based on, so talking about Yellowstone, is there something different? So what I love about Yellowstone is that I really feel like to go back to the, what we were talking about, the cinematography, the, the landscape of that show is like almost like a character in itself. Like it's, it's such a beautifully shot show, you know, shot on location and everything like that. Do you find that, that it's easier or harder or the same to shoot on location in say, you know, Montana, or if you're in some sort of sound studio, some studio someplace trying to recreate a scene. Mm. Um, It's uh, they, they each present their own set of challenges Um, early on when we were talking about doing that show, uh, the gaffer is a friend of mine, this guy, Corin Hodgson. Um, he was talking about doing the show and it was like, you know, they want to shoot it in Utah and it's in Park City. So the, there's a film studio that was built in Park City. Um, I don't know if you have you guys have been to that part of Utah before, but no. everybody no. lives in Salt Lake for the most part. Okay. Right? Yeah. You know, there's a huge population of people in Salt Lake. Park City is a little mountain town that's like up, up the pass from Salt Lake. It's like mm-hmm. a 30, 40 mile drive or something that's where they built the film studio. And it was partly because like, they wanted to be able to say like, people come to Sundance and like, there's a film studio right there where we can do screenings and like show everybody how great Utah film is. Um, And that that was like a multifaceted decision to shoot there. Um, Not least of which is the fact that it's a right to work state. So they don't really have to follow union rules at all. Um, (laughs) It's also a lot less expensive to uh, live there. Right. Um, So basically they decided to do that. And Taylor Sheridan, was uh was the writer and director of the whole first season which is mm-hmm. kind of unprecedented and they kind of gave him that um that 
permission because he had done a handful of projects ahead of time. Hell or high water. Hell or high water and wind river. River. Yeah. Yeah. Which is more similar thematically. Um, And he was a writer on a bunch of other shows like sons of anarchy. And Mm -hmm. it's funny. He's actually in the show. I forgot. Yeah. He's one of the characters. Yeah. Yeah. He plays the guy that's selling John Dutton, a horse. Oh, I thought, you, I, thought you, I thought you were talking about uh, Sons of Anarchy. I thought he was in Sons of, Sons of Anarchy. He's also in Sons of Anarchy. Yeah. That's right. Okay, all right. Uh, people joke that Sons of Anarchy is a Western on motorcycles. People were joking I can totally about Yellowstone. See that. People were joking about Yellowstone as being Sons of Anarchy on horses. <laughs> I mean, Ben's only Ben's only seen a couple episodes of the first season, but yeah, yeah. As, you know, I'm I'm all the way. It's my it's my my one of my favorite shows. So I'm yeah. It was set up on. as a it was set up as a prestige tent pole for a brand new network because paramount bought i think spike tv spike tv yeah yeah mm-hmm. and they were like we want to have prestige shows like hbo or showtime or cinemax or whatever oh they knocked um, it out of the park so, right out of the bat yeah, yeah yeah i mean the scary thing about it was that it was a hundred million dollar season like, oh shit for this guy who <laughs> hadn't written and directed like his own seasons of tv before so it was kind of a gamble for them but it really worked out and I, we, I don't know if you listened to the episode we talked about this, but I think they benefited, you know, you hate to say it this way, but they, they benefited from, from the pandemic in the sense that we're cra- everyone right now is craving new content because yeah. we've all been trapped in our, ho- our homes for three months that they're, anything that's getting released this summer that's actually new content is, going, is naturally, I think, going, going to be extremely popular. And yeah. their they're first actually, episode is, is, was like breaking records for people watching it. Yeah, they're actually really, um, they're, I think they're one of the only shows that I've heard of that's going back into production now, too. Oh, really? Mm. And a lot of that, I don't want to get political at all, but a lot of that is because of their local leadership. I think they are a right-to-work state, and they're run by um, you know, people that want everybody to get back to work. Interesting. Interesting. So I know a couple of people that are still on the show that are uh, being put up in hotels right now as like oh. a two-week quarantine period. So oh, like a, little, like a little NBA bubble. Yeah, yeah. And but can a show theory, like that work in this kind of environment because it's it's mostly shot outdoors and that um, kind of yeah. No? Uh, well, I mean, I, I know we're we're hopping around a bunch. I hope that's, that's fine. Okay. We have there's that no structure. Good, no. There's it's, no structure to this podcast. That fits. That yeah. fits. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it's really hard conceptualizing how this business works uh, with those sort of safety measures in hand mm-hmm. because. You have like 80 people on set. And even like the TV show that I'm working on right now, Pen15 for Hulu, that's oh. like an 80 or 90 person thing. Um, and I, I just don't like, I know there have been a lot of like what they call white papers written about it. Like people are saying like, this is how we're going to run it and everything. Everybody needs to get their temperature taken. Everybody wears masks. But if you show up one day when one of the actors has it or the director has a fever, what do you do? You can't right, replace right. the director like right then. And even if you could, if you send everybody home um, because your director has COVID or because <laughs> they have a fever or whatever, can, does that mean I can't work anywhere else? Like, do I have to then quarantine? I mean, right. technically, I would think yes, right? I mean, I guess, you, like you said, it depends on the state, I guess you're in. But I mean, yeah. Here, so I, don't, be... I mean, I know of one reality show. I mean, I, I follow a handful, like a lot of people on Instagram that, you know, make movies and stuff. And I followed one guy that was talking about this reality show that tried to go back to work and somebody had it. So then they were all like freaking out, like all having to get hotel rooms or whatever because they can't be near their families. Right. Wait it out and see if they have, you know, the virus. So I I just don't, I mean, I'd love to think that there's a way that we can like wear masks and just go back to work. But Mm -hmm. the photos I've seen of like the little commercials, I did get one call for a commercial um, and I just like flat out declined it. Um, But the videos that I've seen and the pictures I've seen of people that are back to work, it's like 
everybody at lunch, but it's like two people per six foot long table at lunch. So okay, if you have an I mean, 80 person crew, that's like 40 tables. Yeah, <laughs> you need a huge space for that. Yeah. It's like a giant amount of space. And like yeah. a lot of times you have to be part, you have to park somewhere that's like a couple miles away from where your set is because you can't bring a hundred cars into a neighborhood. So what yeah. you, like you have to take a van. Like how do you get, you, do you put 12 people in a van together? Like even if you're wearing masks, like I, I just don't know where, I don't know how it works. I, I just can't wrap my brain around it. Right, right. Yeah. That's really, that's really interesting. Um, so, okay. So while we're on the topic of Yellowstone, yeah, I'm yeah. wondering how, as you know, you think of lighting, I think about that's extremely important to uh, things that are being filmed inside, right? Because you don't yeah. have the kind of like natural, I mean, when you're outside, I think more, it's just more, what is the weather out like? Like what's the natural lighting? What, 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 do, you, what do you find yourself doing on a show that is so heavily outdoors? Uh, well, what's, what's great about Yellowstone, Yellowstone was a first for me for a lot of things. It was by far the biggest budget thing I'd ever worked on. Um, in ter- yeah, at least in terms of budget, but then also for like so many other reasons, it was like so far outside of what I was, what I was familiar with. And it turned right. out I was capable. I really did well enough. But, there you go. Um, but one of the things we had on Yellowstone that I still have not seen again and that I probably will never see again is we had our own meteorologist sitting <laughs> in an office Oh. that would literally we'd be on a, a mountain peak in montana and we'd be able to give him gps coordinates be like we see storm clouds coming to the east or whatever how long do we have before it starts raining or should we like pack it up and just try again tomorrow if the if the you know conditions are going to shift too much because so much of that show you don't go to utah and montana to shoot a show indoors that's just not right why right, you go there. right exactly so so much of that show is outside uh, we'd be able to talk to this meteorologist and be like, hey, it just started to snow. How much is it going to snow? Um, are we going to get snowed in if we stay here too long? Because a lot of stuff is shot like in the middle of nowhere where right. you, you just don't want a bunch of 18-wheeler trucks like stuck, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was something I just never had before. But um, it's, it's, a, it's always a conversation about what not only like what you want the scene to look like in terms of lighting, but what the mood is that you're trying to convey and um, how far you want to push it. So a, a good way to describe the mood of any given scene um, is to compare the contrasting light levels in a room. So if you think about it, if something is really dramatic, it's considered really dramatic, and it's taking place during the day, there's typically a very bright light or a, a light hair light or something that then is contrasted with a lot of shadow. There's a big contrast in between those things. And the opposite of that, the opposite side of that coin is that in something like a comedy, you might have a lot of bright lights, but you have very few shadows. Right. So the more seriously you're intended to take something, the more emotionally impact, uh, uh, impactful it's supposed to be, or you know, the more devious a character is supposed to be, the more contrast they'll have on your face. So you can even like huh. divide up the human face. So you, you have like a sun source coming in. I mean, I know your podcast listeners aren't gonna be able to, follow this but no this um, is for us well, though <laughs> yeah, yeah if you so if you can divide my face like if you think of it as being like this is the first third of my face yeah that's the center and that's the last third like over one eye and then over my nose and then over the other eye the main source of lighting or the key light in the scene um is either going to wrap this far to my nose or to my other eye and then it'll have fill beyond that um the more light a character has on their face uh, the more lighthearted the scene is supposed to be or the more uh, oh, happy, sure. wow. like yeah. the more comedic, like whatever. 
And then the less light you have in your face, the more shadow value that you bring in, the more serious it is or whatever. So you can basically evaluate. So this is like where the, the artistry and science of the job. Right, right, right. Uh -huh. Because you can evaluate the mood of the scene and then address your lighting issues based on that. Huh. Oh, wow. That's so, that's so interesting. It's stuff like that. Like yeah. I never would even think of anything right. like that. That's insane. But then, but then, you know, there are other situations where like, uh, we'll come into a commercial situation. So you, you do a location scout before you ever go and shoot a commercial, in a mm -hmm. house, for instance. So you'll be on the second floor in a bedroom. Um, and the, the director will be like, I want the sun to be so bright in here that like you can barely see where they are. It's that bright. So then it's up to you on the location scout to be with the crew that you're at or whatever and to see how high the window is and how high your lift would need to be and how bright the light would need to be in order to give that impression. It's like, so, it's, a, it's, it's an equation. It's, it's a literally a science. It's called photometrics. Yeah. Okay. It's photometrics. So you use meters and just basically what you know about how light is transmitted to figure out how to get a look ahead of time because you have to do all the ordering and the buying and the, and the right, 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 organization right. of all those things and the crew and everything before you ever have to do it. So if you're prepared with all the right tools, it's fine and you can manage it. But it's important to know like what you'll need in terms of tools and manpower before you go into something like that. So a lot of times if you're, if you're in a movie, like I've, I've lit a handful of movies and you have to sort of discover a language with the, the cinematographer and figure out like, um, you know, when he says or she says, I need more or I need less, what does that mean? Right. Like what, what, how much light do we like to have in the room when we're shooting? Because you can set, there's so many ways that you can adjust the way that light looks in the camera. But a lot of times there are situations where the director just wants the room to feel lighter, even though it wants to look darker on camera. So these are all like conversations that you have to have with people. Like for instance, for Pen15, there's a scene that's coming up in this upcoming season where they, the, one of the actors um, wrote and is directing an episode or what uh, we finished it. So wrote and directed an episode um, that takes place at night in a big uh, like uh, um, stadium. So okay. it's like a cancer walk that they like walk all night around the loop or whatever. And by okay, doing that, yep. they like raise money for cancer or whatever. So um, we looked at the stadium or like a stadium night shoot means big lights. Right. A lot of lights you know, that's like, cause you have to light the whole stadium to be able to shoot, especially if they're walking the whole time, like around and a circle. You can't use the stadium lights to do that. That's a conversation that you would have to have with the director. Look um, at you, Ben. Yeah. And look she at, did not want to have the stadium lights on. So what we wow, did is wow. we got this truck mounted light called a BB light, which you can look up. It's awesome. It's a, a nine or it's a 12, 12, six K lights that go up on a crane out of the back of the truck Ooh, that squash cool. this whole stadium. So you can like light the whole stadium that way. But the issue is um, when you talk to the director, you have to figure out where the light is coming from. Like what's motivating the light because in any given situation, there has to be a light source, mm -hmm. right? So if the light is coming from, just like the little work lights they have around, it's got to look a certain way. Or if the light is supposed to be the moon, it has to be a certain way. Um, and what she found out is that when we use this giant light, which you could actually flick off or flick on as many of the lights in that crane as you want to. Right, right, right. You just thought it felt too bright. And the cinematographer and I were talking, we we're like, you know, we can always stop down on the camera and make it look darker in the camera. But she was under the impression that the actors didn't feel as dark as it needed to feel for the scene that she was trying to shoot. So oftentimes, even though you can accomplish things theoretically in the best technical way, uh, it's, it's left up to people that are artists that are trying to not just establish a look in the camera, but establish a feeling in the area for the actors to use. Huh. 
That's so, that's so interesting. All right. Interesting. So, so you mentioned um, light sources, right? And that's something that I, I've been thinking about, you know, while I was thinking about what we were going to chat about. Um, what, something that's really interesting to me is, is when you're, when you have a scene in an area that is supposed to be completely dark. So like, for example, like I, I just watched uh, the third season of the show dark, you know, which yeah. is a lot of it takes place in a cave. And every oh, time, now. every time they were, wa- yeah, <laughs> it's, it's dark in the cave gotcha. and that's the show. I <laughs> know uh, every time they were in the cave, there was, there's no light source, but it was, it was light. Like you could see obviously the character and, and, and everything. What do you do when you're, when you need to show something that's in an area that's supposed to be like completely dark or almost completely dark? Um, it's, uh, it's totally up to the interpretation of whoever is making the show. Okay. Um, a lot of times it's a, it's like a, you know, you have to figure out if there is any light first off, like in this space, do they see anything realistically? Like in a real, in the real world, imagine this is really happening in life. Do they see anything? Right. And if there are no lights, it's basically radio. It's not interesting. Right. Um, so there has to be light coming from somewhere. Um, typically, uh, this actually brings up a good point that when we're lighting a lot of times, even if something like theoretically could work, uh, it's a matter of whether or not you buy it. Right. So yep. yeah, yeah. it could be in something like a cave or it could be in a living room and it's supposed to be a light that's coming from the window, but you have to put it in a certain spot or whatever. And the question oftentimes at the monitor becomes like, do you buy this light? Is that, does that not look real? You know? Right. Right. Um, and creating a reality or creating a world that looks real or that looks right for the scene is a big, is a big undertaking because right. you have to decide what you're willing, how far you're willing to push certain creative choices or if you want to be more subdued about it. Um, in a situation like that, it's kind of up to the interpretation of whoever's doing the scene. A lot of times mm-hmm. it's the director. Like he wants to be able to see nothing except for like just the pupils of people's eyes, you know, the actor's eyes. Right. That's achievable. Or he doesn't want to be able to see their faces, but he wants to be able to see the outline of their bodies. Right. You have yep. to just sort of like come up with a decision about what that means. Uh, like what the world of the cave is. And then in right. a practical sense, like if you're asking me like logistically how you would achieve it, um, the idea of having no light source means that the ambient light needs to come up typically. So what you okay. would do is instead of having harder light sources, you would just create a really big light source overhead or to one side of the camera or something that's so big that it creates no shadows. Right. And then oh, you just okay. sort of like light at a really low level. Yeah. And then it feels like there's light in the room, but it's not really coming from anywhere. That's, but that's so interesting. Yeah, it's different in every scenario. You just, these are, I mean, people wonder why it takes 14 hours a day or 12 yeah. hours a day to make a TV show. It's because you're constantly in conversations like that where it's like, right. what do you buy? And then you're really picking apart the way the director wants to tell the story. So like right. in the script, it says it's pitch black, but in practical reality, it can't be pitch black. Otherwise it's yeah. just an audio play and nobody cares anymore. Right. right. So it's up to the director a lot of times to interpret what that means. And then it's up to the technician side of things like the cinematographer, the gaffer, whatever, the key grip to execute that in a way that, that feels real or feels right. For the story. Yeah. Isn't it, it also, it, it's, sorry. Go I was just going to just follow up on that. It's really interesting that you said like, like the cave <clears throat> example, you have to create the world of the cave. It, it, it's like you, that's one of those things that you don't think about as a viewer, but you can immediately be taken out of something. If there's, you know, you know, you're watching something and you know, in the back of your head that like, Hey, why, why can he see, why is there light here? Um, but okay. you're, it's not even something you consciously think about, but that can take you out of a, of, of a scene. Um, and I think 
the attention to that nuance is something that sets TV shows and, and movies apart. So I was going to kind of say the same thing, but like, don't, don't you kind of also have to suspend your disbelief a little bit as a viewer to say, okay, like we're, they're in a cave, but of course they have to, there has to be light. Otherwise they'll just, we won't see anything. So yeah, don't you also have to like, that's a conversation I've had to have more than you probably think. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Like I know you want it to be dark, but there's, there has to be light. Otherwise yeah. there's nothing to see. So where does that light come from? You know, and, and it's always a conversation. It's always like a, a collaboration between creative minds that all like come to a decision about what it means in this world. Like how dark can you be? And I remember watching shows like the X-Files when I was younger and we would just yell at the screen, just turn on the goddamn lights, you know? <laughs> like they never turn on the lights. Or like when yep. people go down into basements or whatever and they just, they like try the light switch and it doesn't work. It's like, grab a flashlight. You can't yeah. see anything yeah. anyway. What do you think you're going to find down there with no light? You yeah. Know? Well, that's, but, a, that's an example of kind of what I was talking about where at a certain point, if the, if the decisions and what's happening isn't believable, then it does take you out of, of what you're watching. So you, as the production yeah. crew, need to, need to anticipate that. Yeah, actually, my cousin, um, I, so this is what happens when I, when I go to like family functions or whatever. This is my wife's cousin. We're at a cookout or whatever. She's like, I just saw a show with the worst lighting and I hadn't really noticed lighting before that. And the, the idea is that with the right lighting, you don't notice it at all. Yep. You know, you're not yeah. supposed to notice it. Unless it's like really beautiful and it's supposed to be this like tableau with like the sun coming through the trees. You like really notice it. Most right. of the time it's just supposed to be executed in a way that it feels real. So because you don't think light. about lighting in your real life either. The lighting, right. it well, just is what it is. Well, that's, right. that's <laughs> actually, you're right, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Most people don't, you're right. Um, but she, she discovered, she thought about the lighting because it was bad. And I'm in this place in my career where I, I don't wanna like toot my own horn, but I know a lot of people that do this. So I did a quick search found the guy that had lit it and i was like i know this guy so i texted him about it <laughs> i was like i just saw this thing that you made she said it was the worst lighting she <laughs> doesn't even work in the business she has no idea oh um, man that's fun to bust balls like that but the but you know, a lot of times it's just it's not up to the gaffer you know like in that situation it was a super low budget um i think it was like a hallmark movie or something and I've, I've made some of those and they're just brutal. They're just terrible. And I hate it. Um, <laughs> easy. Okay. The Hallmark channel produces some of the best Christmas movies that you'll ever see in your entire life. Okay? And, and, and sure. Is that just, yeah, yeah, yeah definitely <laughs> you, for those of you who are listening at home, you should have just seen the look on, on Karen's face. Um, is that's, that's just a matter of like, they don't, they don't care as much, right? They're just trying to get the movie out. Or yeah. is there a budget? Is it a budget thing, or is like, or is it like it a time a, constraint? Yeah, yeah, it could be a lot of different things. I yeah. mean, I, I, the one that I, the one that sticks out to me that I did was kind of early in my career, and I was like, oh great, I'm going to gaff this movie. Look at me, you know. And I got my friends to do it and stuff, and it was just so bad because the equipment was shoddy and the budget was super low, and like you're just you end up running into so many problems that are logistical issues, right? And because of that, you can't focus on the things that really matter, like the image in front of the camera. Mm -hmm. Or because the budget is so low, you can only afford so many shoot days. So you just have to shoot so many more pages in a day. And because of that, you're never like, you can never be fully aware of the thing that you're shooting and give 100% of your attention to it because you're just lighting the next scene after that and the one after that in other rooms in this house in my situation. Right. Um, so like if they're shooting something where a guy goes down into a cellar, um, you know, the, the DP might be like, all right, we just need a light in the cellar. And by then it might be hour 15 of the day or something. Oh. And you're like, all right, well, I'm just trying to work on this dining room scene. 
and you send somebody to just put a light in the cellar. And then when you come to look at it, what it looks on camera and it looks terrible. And they're like, we already shot it. Let's go. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Well, uh, you know, yep. you run, you run into like weird situations like that. where like, my name is on this, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I do care. It's like a sense of pride a little bit at that yeah, point. Exactly. Right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, especially if you're going to give that much time and effort to it, it's not for the money, you know, right. on that tier of project, it's not for the money, but you just like end up running into stuff and, you know, the producer, the line producer is in charge of the budget or the DP will look at you and say like, you know, I don't think anybody's going to be writing any letters about this one. <laughs> yeah, but this is my That's life. That's what it's about. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. This is like what I do. I don't want to, yeah. I don't want anybody to see this movie anymore. <laughs> it was called, um, oh man, it was like about a woman who meets a friend and they both have babies. And, uh, and it turns out that the other woman had stolen her baby to you know to have a baby oh i so, think i know what you're talking about. no wait that was the, the movie I'm thinking called, like, like the 90s. dearest they they changed the name like three times but i think it was called like mommy dearest or like mommy knows best or something like it was so <laughs> stupid <laughs> i had a terrible time on that movie but like in order is, to get, who was who was in it uh i don't think there was anybody in it okay well well like anybody that you would know <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a pretty boring movie that nobody, yeah. nobody was nobody was there yeah um, it's too bad too because everybody that's there like in the, initially in the early stages and everything everybody gets excited about it and they're like yeah this is gonna yeah. be cool like, we're gonna really try like i'm, I'm slowly, gonna try yeah. i'm gonna use all this stuff that i know and then after the first couple of days you're like jesus christ well, <laughs> Get me out of here. why did i do this so i have a question about so according to your imdb you shot a few episodes of glow um yeah. which is a show that i really really enjoy i don't know ben i don't know if you've seen that show have you I haven't no, but it looks it looks good. It has a lot yeah, of people Allison like Bree, yeah, 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 it's great. Yeah. And I love wrestling as of just a fan. Um, at least he does. Show. He really <laughs> does. Um, I'm in it. I'm in the third season, by the way. Are you really? Yeah. Like in the in the uh, casino like scenes. Uh, or? Yep. The way that it works is that um, I did the whole season. I did. I think pretty much the whole of season three. I think I had to leave for like one of the later episodes because I lit a competition show for butchers that we should talk about. It's called The Butcher. But I got this. I got this, the opportunity to gaff a competition show for butchers, so I took it. I, I'd also done the pilot. Did but they? Anyway. Were they like, hey, like, like, hey, I gotta go. I'm doing a reality butcher show. But like, dude, just don't lie to us. Just leave. Like, say you don't want to be here anymore. Like, <laughs> like, we know you don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to lie to us. Just go. Well, to them, it was more like, you know, you're you're making twice as much money doing this, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I get to go gaff that show, and they're like, you know, that's gonna, that's not fun. <laughs> <laughs> It's not cool people on set. The food's going to suck. And they're <laughs> right. not wrong, but like, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, I'm actually in it because there are, there are like a lot of obviously like union rules in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And one of those rules is that if a light is in the scene and it plays like an actual practical light, in this case, a spotlight, mm -hmm. then it has to be operated by somebody in our union. So instead of hiring huh. additional union people to go through hair, makeup, wardrobe, like everything to be in the scene, they just got a couple people from like the existing lighting department. Oh, that's awesome. So I didn't know it was going to be that big of a deal. I thought I was going to have to wear like a black t-shirt or whatever. And they were just yeah. like, have me in the deep background, but I'm actually in it. You can see me um, in one of the wrestling scenes where like the old women wrestlers are like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or it's like one of the first episodes of the third season. I'm like in the background, like, like laughing and stuff. <laughs> and so my spotlight. That wasn't shot in Vegas. That was shot in California. Uh, yeah, everything, that whole casino was shot at LA Center Studios. They built an entire oh, casino okay. floor and auditorium inside a soundstage. Wow. Um, all of the exterior Las Vegas stuff was shot uh, outside of LA um, in, what was it? It was like Pomona or something? Hmm. I can't really remember now. So, or uh, Ontario. It was Ontario, California. And um, uh, I remember, I know the gaffer really well. We, we, did, um, we did American Horror Story right before that. Oh, cool. And, uh, 
so I knew him really well. And he's like, the next show I'm doing is Glow. And I was like, dude, that's great. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, but I was like, are they going to shoot any of it in Las Vegas? And he said, no, because it's a period show. So it yeah, so you have to change the I mean, scenery. Yeah. Even old Vegas, I don't know if you guys have spent time there, but even yeah. old Vegas is all LEDs now. Right, right. Like it, does, it just doesn't look like 80s Las it's Vegas. It's not, not quite the same, yeah. yeah. Right. So, so my so, question about shooting Glow was, is it, have you ever, first of all, have you ever done something like that where it was sort of, are the scenes shot, the wrestling scenes, I should say, shot similar to how they would shoot, I guess, actual wrestling? Like, is it is it one continuous take? Is or other lots of cuts and they just go back to doing the same, you know, hey, in this scene, I was shooting you off the ropes. Come back to that. We're going sh- to shoot you off the ropes again and body slam you or something. Had you ever done something like that, more like a competition-based show like that before? Or was this kind of your first foray into like so many moving parts happening at the same time? Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's kind of like uh, fighting scenes are like, are like sex scenes in movies where they're supposed to look- Because um, of the boners? Improved. Yeah. <laughs> all the bonus. supposed to look improvised okay but something like that um everything is so well choreographed mm-hmm. it's been so well practiced that they do it the same every time okay so a lot of times there are bigger chunks that you need like we need this in a wide shot of this transfer happening or this move or whatever but a lot of times they would just like go through the whole thing and because it is like one it's almost like a choreographed dance they would go through the whole thing and then we go in and get coverage of whatever pieces they thought they needed or whatever. But they do a lot of training, a lot of wrestling training so that they can mm-hmm. do those moves, like not only safely, but also like effectively so that they look good. For and like believably, believably. Yeah. 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 They do like, almost all of their own stunts. I mean, they do have some stuff that need to be stunt people, but like a lot of the wrestling is just them. Was that but, hard to shoot or was it kind of just like any other thing? I mean, it's kind of like any other thing. I mean, you, I mean it's like fight choreography. It's yeah. the same way. It's time consuming because mm-hmm. you want to make sure things look right. But in something that, that's not supposed to look real. It's supposed to look like fake real. It's maybe right, a little yeah. easier because if a punch doesn't sell, it's not the point of it. Isn't that the punch sells most right. of the time? Like if you're doing an action movie or a TV show or whatever, and you want somebody to look like they punch someone else, you get it until it looks like that. Um, but in a situation like that, it's okay if it looks a little cheesy. Totally, right. yeah, because it's meant to look. Yeah, I get, I get you. I get you. Yeah. Actually, have you ever have you ever seen the raid? The um the, oh the jet. The, the Japanese that's, is it the, is it the Japanese movie? Indonesian, actually. Indonesian. Yeah, that's the one where they they storm the uh, the like the office building, right? That's the sequel. Okay. The Raid Two, The Raid Redemption, first one, um, is this probably one of the best action movies to come out of the last fifteen years? Um, you guys, as film buffs, would absolutely <laughs> love it if you like action movies. I like Raid. I saw Raid Two then. Yeah, Raid Two is great. It's the same plot as Judge Dredd, which is really off putting, <laughs> but anyway. The Judge Dredd remake that just came out. Anyway, um, the Raid is really good. And it's a low budget um, martial arts action movie. Mm -hmm. And the question becomes like, how do you make a really good low budget martial arts action movie? And the way they did it is they shot the whole thing on video on like stupid, like little DV camcorders or whatever with the martial arts experts, like with the stuntmen so that they could get the angles um, and the camera positions right for all of the stunts they did. So they cut the entire movie with these action scenes that looked really good because they had all this time to polish it. So then when they went in to do the movie, they did it super fast because they knew exactly what they needed and exactly the camera positions and lenses or whatever mm-hmm. and, the, and you know, where the action needed to happen. And they just like banged it out super fast. And what you get is the, the result is this, the most like brutal looking yeah. martial arts movie <laughs> I think I've ever seen. It looks so good. 
Um, there's a little bit of a tangent, but if I can recommend, I want to recommend a couple of things no, hey, yeah. you haven't seen, and that's going to be one of them. So yeah, that actually, that's a, that's a good segue, I think, to, should we, should we ask him what he's been watching? I mean, I know he's a diehard fan. Yeah, so, yeah, so, <laughs> so know. we, heard, you know, heard a handful of episodes. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's important to us to review what we've been watching. Um, we are very interested in what you've been watching. So uh, anything cool you want to talk about? Yeah, I just, my wife and I just finished a show um, called Escape at Danamora. Oh, <laughs> yes. Ben Stiller directed that. Did you watch it? I did with um, Benicio Del Toro and oh, Paul Dano. Paul Dano, Patricia yeah. Arquette. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, she, I, I think she won sure it. <laughs> um, it's really, really good. It's a, uh, you know, I don't know if you know, but it's a, um, it's a prison break uh, limited series. And it, it showed up on Showtime, um, which is probably why I didn't hear about it. But it's yeah. like, it's probably one of the best directed, best acted like miniseries I've ever seen. And I think it just, I mean, I, I think Patricia Arquette won a bunch of awards. I think she, like, won a, she definitely won a Golden Globe for it. I'm not sure if you won yeah. any, but yeah. It's really, really good. And I really liked it. Um, it's just really well executed, great writing, acting. And Ben Stiller like shows up. He, yeah, like, dude. He's, he's going to be a big time director, I think. Yeah. And, but then, you know, I thought the same thing. It was like, oh yeah, his career is really going somewhere. And then I realized he directed Reality Bites. Like so I many didn't, years I, ago. I did not know that. I knew he directed something else. He also directed Zoolander. Cable Guy. And, and Cable Guy. And, and yeah. And, yeah. and cable guy and so like he had he had obviously you know it's ben stiller he's not he's not well no i don't yeah. think anybody uh like he's peaking right who would have guessed 2020 ben stiller's peaking yeah <laughs> yeah i mean he's killing it it look it's really good but i think it probably fell under the same like weird umbrella that the nick did you ever see the nick with um uh clive owen right yeah yeah and nick is also a fantastic tv show but it came out on cinemax so like yeah. nobody could watch it so there's a shit because they, they issued a couple episodes or the first season or something on HBO for like a limited time so that people would get hooked and then mm -hmm. I don't know, have to buy Cinemax? I don't know. It's never <laughs> What's Cinemax. the plan here? <laughs> we ended up purchasing the show because it's so good. The Nick is fantastic. Huh. Um, yeah, definitely check it out. Yeah, Ben, ben I think you'd like The Nick. I, uh, I had to tap out a couple of episodes because some of the uh, operating scenes are a little too graphic. Too much. But, um, too but, much uh, yeah. yeah. It's it really, cool. if you like Clive Owen and who doesn't, um, he's, he's really. Killed. So good. And I actually worked with uh, the actor that plays Birdie um, on that show is the teacher in Pen15. He's like one of the... Oh, okay. I'm trying, his he's name also is like, me, but yeah. I think he's dating Maya. I don't know if you watch Pen15, but anyway, he showed up on set and I almost talked to him like he was a friend of mine. <laughs> he was really familiar. Yeah. I was like, hey man, you know, we were just like talking or whatever. And I walked back over to like my people and I was like, I don't know why I feel like I know that guy. And I, like, <laughs> and I was like, holy shit. And I had to go to the fanboy out about the Nick and just be like, this is the best fucking... <laughs> That's the best TV show I've seen like ever in my life. Um, and I also got to work with his, uh, with Soderbergh directed all of that. Oh, all of the Nick? I didn't know that. Yeah. And um, his key grip, this guy, John Minardi worked on Yellowstone because they, I, I gaffed the second unit of Yellowstone. So they would have like the first unit working with the big name actors and everything. And then they need a shot of a truck going down the street or right. they need cleanups of like a scene that they weren't able to finish or whatever. So I would go gaff that stuff. Um, John Minardi is one of the key grips that they brought up to Montana to help us shoot this like night exterior scene um, when a character, I don't know if you remember the long black train from the first episode or the first season, uh, they, they dispatch somebody from the ranch and dump them at the train station. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Where they, 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 uh, they just end up shooting him and dumping him off a cliff. Yeah, yeah. so we should lit that scene, me and John Minardi. That's awesome. Um, Who's telling you about how, uh, how Soderbergh works. They're short days, they're like eight hour days or something. Which is bizarre that that's short. That's like a regular it's day for me. Yeah. And that's why a lot of people actually don't love working with him 
because all the money you make is in overtime because you start oh, getting oh, interesting. I didn't want to get into that, but I was going to ask about yeah, how you get your first, salary your first eight hours are, are straight time. And then eight to 12 is time and a half. And then anything after 12 is double time. Yeah. So yeah. That's, that's like my, it's my, my job. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So John was telling me like a lot of people don't love working with Soderbergh because he does eight hour days, but here's what he does. He does eight hour days and barely any lighting. He uses natural light and practical fixtures as much as he can mm-hmm. because he's able to take all that overtime money that would be spent on overtime and uh, all that lighting money and reinvest it in the project as like um, set dressing, set decorating, things like costume and things that like make everything look amazing. Huh. And then he shoots it at the right time of day and only shoots eight hour days. They only went into overtime that's, for a season like once. But that's so smart. That's like the type of like strategy that only like a real like vet yeah. could, could like yeah. figure out, yeah. Well, he was always like an indie darling. He was always doing the like really low budget indie stuff. But then when like a studio started giving him money, he's like, great, great. I'm gonna take a third of the money that you were gonna to give to the crew and reinvest it in practical lighting fixtures so that we can light the, the, the scene with lamps. And then we can go wherever we wanna go and just have the actors play around the existing light and just shoot so much faster that way. It's really efficient. Interesting. Wow, yeah. there's so much. Yeah, like I <laughs> so feel like, cool like, like yeah, I, we definitely have to have you back because yeah, I have, yeah, 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 like yeah. I'm just yeah. cracking the surface and stuff I want to ask you and we're already probably like two I hours could, into this. For like, everything <laughs> that you said, I could ask you like four or five things about more, like more detail about, about specific things. Yeah. Um, it's yep. so it's so interesting, but um, I think, uh, yeah, cool. wow, for our first episode, that was that was really interesting. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm so... So glad that you agreed to come on. Yeah, dude, really. Thank you again. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thank you a million it. times. You can see how your uh, fan base feels about it. If it's boring. No, they'll love it. All five of them will Are love it. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I mean, this <laughs> yeah. is the kind of, I mean, we could talk about how much we like uh, Always Sunny for like five or six episodes in a row, but people can only listen to that like so much, right? They want to hear <laughs> yeah. some, real, some real stuff. Yeah. Uh, that's so cool. Uh, so, so, what so, are you, so what are you working on now? You're on Pen15. Yeah, I'm on Pen15. And then do you um, have anything set up for afterwards or are you? Uh, not really, no. Yeah. Uh, it's tough because the situation in Los Angeles right now is that the unions don't know how to deal with it okay. uh, and neither do the studio. So on my show right now on pen 15, the, what I gained, what I gathered in terms of information from the producer is that the higher ups at the studio at Viacom and at Hulu, they're like, we're restart. We will restart mid October. We'll be like ready to run. But then as soon as you talk to like the live producers and the producers are actually doing the individual projects, they're like, there's no goddamn way. (laughs) Nobody knows how to do it. And it hasn't been thought about yet. And then also like this job becomes a very different situation if people are only working six or eight hours a day, because all of a sudden it's like the money is not the draw anymore. Right, right, right. So if you're making half of what you were making before and you have to go potentially expose yourself to a pandemic, then it's like, who wants to go back to work? It doesn't quite become as, as worth it, yeah. It's not as worth it. Interesting. So like people with kids and stuff, they're like, I mean, if it turns out I have a fever and I have to like live in a hotel yeah. so that my kids don't get COVID, it's like- Yeah, is it, so, is it yeah. worth it in the first place, yeah. yeah. We can, I guess we, we can end whenever, but I have one last question, I guess, about that. Do you, does this, does this particular job, what you do, is there a skill set that can apply to something outside of the industry? You so know, like you're I'd saying love to brainstorm about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, could you take like, what you've hey. done and go and be like, Hey, I'm going to go light, you know, something or something else. I, I mean, know, like work at like work at a, like MetLife stadium or something like in, and try to like yeah. light things that are like live events or, or something sure. else. Right. Yeah. yeah. Everything, everything, uh, everything is its own skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, my skills are, are pretty well honed into a very specific thing. 
Um, but then again, I have all sorts of uh, skills that I've gained from this job, like uh, time management skills and management of people, staff, mm-hmm. budgets, things like that. Um, working with working with people, maybe with big egos or like, or people, yeah. you know, just working with a lot of different types of people. Yeah. Stuff yeah that's like course. universally applicable. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm hoping for. Cause in the event that I make the foray into the, the real world outside of this sometime soon, I should hope that I can be employed somehow, but yeah. I mean, it's like any other job during COVID. I mean, I'm sure there are lots of waiters out there that are wondering like, all right, I've been a high end waiter for five years. Like what now? Right. Well, at the yeah. very least, you know that no matter what you do or who you talk to, you are going to have the most interesting small talk of Seriously. anyone that, that the average person. Especially yeah, because back, move back to this <laughs> fucking dump. You'll, you'll, Every, like, <laughs> everyone, everyone wants to, you know, pull the kimono back and see how the sausage is made, not to mix my metaphors. Yeah, but, uh, yeah you like that? Yeah, you oh, like yeah, that. that yeah, I like that show I did. <laughs> I know a lot about how sausage is made, actually, and if they don't put a little salt yeah, in you know the the meat. <laughs> yeah, wait a minute. Okay, so no, hold no, on. No, so, no. So I, I think that needs to be a whole episode by itself. It's the butcher show. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. So you, you know what? So watch it somewhere. It's probably on, It's it was on the History Channel. It's probably somewhere online. Um, so the, anyway, I, I am really thrilled that you agreed to come on. I, I, you know, we really, really appreciate it. And I hope that you would be willing to come back at some point and, and again, keep, keep kind of chatting about keep, this stuff. Yeah. Just keep gushing uh, because we'll, we'll, we'll be here to listen. Yeah, awesome. Sure. Yeah, of course. Um, is there anything, uh, is there anything that you, uh, so I've listened to a couple podcasts in my day and I know uh-huh. that the, the right way to do it is to ask about uh, if guests want to plug anything. Is yeah, there any social media you, you want to plug? Or yeah. Anything, anything you want to plug uh, any like projects or any, yeah, I wish I'd thought that I wish I'd you want to put a resume out do. there for you or like, write a LinkedIn oh, recommendation. I, I could talk about the last movie I made. I really like the movie that, um, that I made last year. It's called the nowhere in. Okay. Oh yeah. It's, yeah, yeah uh, tell starring, us about that. Uh, it stars Carrie Brownstein as herself, um, of Portlandia fame. Yeah. And, yep. um, the band St. Vincent, uh, yep. most notably, um, the lead singer of St. Vincent, this woman, Annie Clark, uh, but they both play themselves and it's just like a really bizarre, uh, psychological, like comedy thriller. Uh, that I had a really like a lot of fun doing. Uh, it premiered at Sundance and it was a lot of fun. I don't know who the audience is. <laughs> I hope people like it because we had fun making it. And, I mean, yeah. I, I love it. It's out, so they play themselves, but, but, but like actors and, and celebrities typically do, they probably play like a kind of like um, uh, uh, a, di- a different version of themselves. Like a, like a more dramatic. Themselves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And they have a friendship outside of that movie. So it was just them playing themselves but maybe heightened versions of themselves anyway it's kind of a, a fun movie and there were a lot, a lot of uh film references built into it like we did a i, I don't know if you are familiar with la Haine, that french movie from no 15 years ago Oof, that's a good wreck that's what i want to plug actually la well, you're plugging la Haine? yeah okay uh, that's so film school of me but i don't know if, if you have film school listeners but that's very film we school. do we have we have we have at least there. one at least one yeah yeah la Haine is a uh it's a French movie from like 20 years ago or something about these guys that live in like the projects outside of uh, Paris. And then basically there are these student riots happening and they use those student riots as like license to act like gangsters. Cause they, they really, okay. Like gangsters. All right. And it's really good. And there's really fantastic cinematography in that movie, but there's a mirror scene. I don't want to, I don't want to spoil it, but we got to replicate that mirror scene in the nowhere. And just because the director thought it was going to be really cool. And it was. So- 
So, like so that, that sounds awesome. Where can we see, is there a place we could see the nowhere, nowhere in? Um, I don't know what their release schedule is like. I, yeah, it's still, on, according to IMDb, it says it hasn't been released yet. So I okay, don't know. okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's in, uh, in you know, they're, they're working on some yeah. or something. It'll be, it'll yeah, be available yeah. eventually. I'll let you know. How about that? Yeah, yeah please come back on. Let us Absolutely, know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, for you sure. end up seeing it somewhere. Yeah. No, I definitely, I mean, it sounds, it sounds awesome. So I want to, I want to check it out. Yeah. Um, cool. Okay. Garrett Williams. Thank you so much for joining yeah, us. This was so you. interesting. So interesting. Yeah. Um, and we would be thrilled to have you back. Uh, I, I, I'm glad to say that you are now a friend of the show. You don't yep. have a choice. Oh, you have an obligation <laughs> to come formally, back. Formally, yeah, yep. it's, yeah. it's, it's an obligation. It's more, you know. Four to seven seasons, just like Kevin Costner and uh, Yellowstone. <laughs> so. That's cool. Um, oh, I have cancer, thank you. by the way. I meant to tell you. now you're catching on to our humor yeah Yeah. (laughs) that's awesome yeah thank you so much uh big shout out to um keith thank you yeah thank you for setting this up actually you know what you didn't really set it up i set it up but keith kind of just got the foot in the door so keith thank you for listening yeah yeah Yeah, keith thanks thanks for for the plug keith yes 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 (laughs) (laughs) awesome cool well garrett thank you so much we'll be thrilled to have you on again and this was this was so much fun so um thank you thank you very much yeah sure thing thanks for having me no yeah, of course. Right, and uh, for everyone, everyone listening, thank you for listening. And uh, if you want to hear more uh, insider information like that, keep tuning in mm-hmm. uh, to on the night I go back. Yeah, we are. Go. <laughs> next um, week's guest won't be nearly as exciting. Yeah, this is it. It'll just wait. Just, we'll let you know when Garrett's on next and then you can yeah. listen again. <laughs> yeah. It'll probably just be Emily. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. All right. Bye guys.